Bibles tonight to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Romans, chapter 12. One of the most difficult things about going through any chapter or book of the Bible is, uh, is trying to discern how big a section is to take for each message. Sometimes one verse is... Uh, sufficient, and sometimes maybe you go through the entire chapter. Well, tonight we're going to focus in on verse number 3, Romans chapter number 12, verse 3. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, According as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now you remember that in the first two verses, Paul spoke about the matter of surrender. I beseech thee, for brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies as a what? A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Why? Well, that's our reasonable service. And then in verse number 2, he speaks about the matter of not being conformed to the world, but being transformed. And now when we come to verse 3, all of the way down through verse number 8, he's going to show us what this looks like. In other words, if we've truly surrendered ourselves to the Lord, he's going to help us to put it into shoe leather and to see what the real evidence of that is. So in the first two verses... He talks about consecrating ourselves. For you know, young people, that word simply means to set apart ourselves. If you consecrated something, uh, for example, this pulpit here, if it's consecrated unto the Lord, that means it is set apart, reserved solely for that purpose. That's the way our life ought to be. But after we have consecrated ourselves to the Lord, we need to concentrate, that is, focus. On serving the Lord. And that's exactly what takes place here. In these verses, down through verse number 8, he speaks about, beginning in verse 3, with meekness. And then he speaks about the matter of membership. And then he speaks about ministry. But tonight, I want you to notice the very first thing that he mentions, and that is the danger of pride And he deals with the demand for lowliness of mind, that is, meekness or humility. And after that, he deals with the matter of helpfulness. And you'll see that later on whenever he begins to discuss how we fit in to the Lord's church, which is referred to as the body of Christ. So notice it's interesting and I think right on target when he speaks about humility just before he speaks about helpfulness. And it's as though that he is saying to us that we really can't be helpful unless we're humble. I mean, when you put all this together, that's exactly the picture that you get. If we want to be helpful in the work of God, we've got to be humble of spirit. And so he starts with this warning that I've just read here in verse number 3. And by the way, that is a warning that we all need. And I say that because it is so easy for any of us to become proud. We might not want to admit that, but I'm telling you, it can happen to any of us. 
and it does happen at some point in time to all of us. I can remember it happening to me uh, within a within just a, a few months of whenever I first started pastoring, and a woman I still remember her name to this day. I mean, how do you forget the name of somebody that flatters you so much? And so the message was over. They're coming out the door, and uh, Bertie came by, and she said, "I'll tell you what." She said, "You are a better preacher than Billy Graham." Now, that's that's what she said. Well, that's the last thing a young preacher needs to hear. And looking back, you know, later on, I could understand why she said that, because a lot of people judge a sermon and a preacher by the amount of emotion that that a preacher puts in it. And, and, and I'm just telling you how it was. Those country folks thought Billy Graham couldn't preach a lick. Because he didn't preach like country preachers. And at that time in my ministry, I can tell you the fieriest preacher from the deep south did not preach with any more motion than I did. You've heard me say that, I mean, on Monday morning, I couldn't open my hands hardly. They were swollen up from beating on the pulpit. I screamed until I, I didn't have any voice. My face would turn beet red, purple, Bev said, look like I was going to pass out. I was running around all over. I mean, I was just a bundle of energy, and they thought, you know, that that's the way they judge good preaching. If you didn't do that, you know, if you didn't have about half your pant leg dragging the ground and slobbering at the mouth and your hair all messed up, they thought, well, you're not, you're not preaching. And uh, so that's why she made that statement. But, but the whole point is, a lot of people don't know how to judge a preacher or a sermon, and it wasn't until I, all of a sudden, and I wasn't looking for any attention, I had one young preacher said, how do you, how do you get started preaching all those revival meetings? I was going to send out, send out a letter to all of the churches telling them I was available. He said, how did you get started? And I said, I don't know. People just started calling up asking if I'd come for a revival meeting, and that's the way it was up until the time that I announced that I'm not going to take any more revival meetings. But all of a sudden, I started preaching revival meetings. And uh, so here I am trying to pastor church, preaching like that, preaching revival meetings and Bible conferences and so forth, preaching the same way. I about scared some folks in Lubbock, Texas to death one night. I won't tell you that story, but it's a... I mean, I, they they didn't know whether I was having a nervous breakdown or a fit or what, but some of them some of them were scared to death. And uh, but anyway, I was preaching up in Kansas City in a meeting, and, and I'd been having these sharp pains and blurry vision and little spots before my eyes. And uh, boy, it really got bad during the course of that meeting. I thought I was going to have to quit right in the middle of the revival, and I, I decided that. I need to slow down. I need to, well, and you know, I, I need to change, I need to change my method of delivery. And, and I did, and uh, I, I don't know whether it's tr- true or not, but I believe in my heart I saved myself from having a stroke. Uh, because I, I sure scared a lot of people thinking I was about to have one when I was preaching. And, uh, you know, if somebody, if they can preach that way, more power to them. Have at it. I love it. I, I'm not being critical of that. I just say we've got to do what our physical body will allow us to do. But my whole point is hearing a statement like that as a young preacher, I thought, oh, boy, you know, that's really good getting high marks already. Uh, but boy, I'll tell you, it doesn't take much to take the starch out of you. 
uh, <laughs> in, in fact, all, all, all it takes is, you know, to hear that, you know, so-and-so said such and such, and they really know how to get the message to you because they never come, you know, never come to me. Uh, you know, they, they always go through Bev and say something to her because, you know, they know I'm going to get the message that way. And it's never a definite accusation or whatever. It's just hinting at something, you, you know, something that can be interpreted two different ways so that if you confront them, they can say, oh, I, I didn't mean anything by it. You just took it the wrong way. No, I, I know exactly what they meant. But my point is, my point is, it's easy to become proud and it can really be a painful thing in being humbled before the Lord. Uh, that, that's not something that's pleasant. Now, looking at this section as a whole, and by section I mean verses 3 through 8 here, one preacher called this the body, of course speaking to the church, the body at work. Uh, another preacher said this is a, the blueprint for a healthy church. Well, any way you look at it, this is what it amounts to. This is a call for the church to work together like members of the body to accomplish its mission. And and to do that, there are two absolute essentials if we're going to be successful. And that is that we have to be lowly of mind, verse 3, and then loving in our mannerisms, and he develops that as we go through here. But look at verse 3. At the very first word, we'll get to the sermon outline in just a little bit, and I'll tell you ahead of time, it's not an alliterated outline. Faint. Anybody going to faint? I'm I'm just going to state it as I see it. But notice the first word is for. For. That connects this section with what has just been said in verse number 2. And what was he talking about there? The will of God. What about the will of God? He says it's good and it's acceptable and perfect. And I love the manner in which Paul is appealing to them because keep in mind what he says here is a command But I want you to notice how gentle Paul is in his approach. You know, that's something I didn't do very well at as a young preacher. I'm still not an expert at it, but Paul was. He, you know, he could say the right thing in a forceful way and yet be very gentle about it. And, And that was really important. Why? Well, because he's about to speak on the subject of humility And the last thing you want to do in preaching the subject on humility is to demonstrate pride. And so he is approaching them, you know, in kid gloves, as it were, in order, in in order to, to express his love for them and to demonstrate his humility of heart. Now, notice verse three. Here's the grounds for his counsel. Verse three, for I say, through the grace given unto me. Now, if we went back to the very first verse of the book of Romans, here's what you would read. A servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. And and notice here in our text, he tells us that all of that was due to what? Grace. That's it. It's all due to the grace of God. Notice he's a servant of Jesus Christ. He's an apostle. He's separated under the gospel. 
And all of these is due to the grace of God. And I don't think anyone ever understood better than the Apostle Paul what it meant to be undeserving. You'll remember that he considered himself to be what? The chief of sinners, right? And he said that he was the least of all of the apostles. He probably had more to brag about than any of them. And yet he was a very humble man. And now here's an humble man bringing a message on the subject of humility. But there's something else that needs to be mentioned here. And that's the fact that here he is speaking with what? Apostolic authority. He is an apostle. You, you know, I, I mean, he, he could take the approach, and this happens to a lot of young preachers. They'll start out, and in the beginning, if they've got any wisdom at all, you know, they'll try to handle people with kid gloves, be diplomatic, not make any waves, just get up and preach, you know, the Word of God, but, but you know, not stir up any problems. But what can happen after a while when he gets settled in and he gets to feeling a little bit secure, he starts getting a little bit cocky, and then it is in your face. And so when the honeymoon period is over in seven, eight months, maybe a year, the next year is sheer torture for the church, and the next year he's gone, you see. And, and, and so it's real easy for us Whenever we, whenever we think about our ministry and think about what God has said, it's real easy for us sometimes to assume a position of power over others that we don't rightly deserve. But this man's an apostle. He has divine authority, as it were. And, and yet notice how he's ministering to them. Now look, we need to remember this, that regardless of whether it's your Sunday school teacher or your grandmother sitting in the rocking chair reading to you the Word of God, or your Sunday school teacher or a wanna worker, whoever it is, when they open up the Bible and begin to speak, that's God speaking to you. I didn't say the person is God. I said God speaking to you through the pages of His Word. And a lot of people say, you know, well, I, I just don't like that preacher over there, uh, whatever. And look, you might not like a preacher's mannerisms. I had one person tell me, he said, that he, he said we don't like your personality. I, you know, when, when I thought about that, I, I, I started to ask him, you know, who, you know who, who's we? And uh, if he'd been honest, he would have meant, well, me and my wife and my daughters, we hate your guts. Uh, but I didn't ask him that. I was trying to be, I was trying to be diplomatic. You don't have to, you don't have to like the way I don't part my hair or the tie that I wear. But when, whenever the message is coming from God's Word, we need to listen to it. And so here is a message on humility by an humble servant of God with apostolic authority speaking to us about our need to be humble servants of the Lord. Now, notice the extent, the grounds of the council has to do with humility and the fact that he was an apostle. Notice the extent of it, verse 3 again, to every man that is among you. In other words, there's no exceptions. None of the believers in Rome were excluded from this. What he says applied to everyone, that is, every professing Christian, every member of the church. And by the way, it applies to all of us. 
And, 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 and I think a lot of times we get into this bad habit of thinking that the message is always for somebody else. Oh, you know, boy, if so-and-so had been here today, they really needed that. And, and so many times, we, you know, we don't look for what we really need. I love what Van Zabner said one time. He was talking about the woman who went to the psychiatrist. Maybe you heard about her. She went in and she had a fried egg on her head and a bacon strip over each ear. And she came in and he said, how can I help you? She said, I come to see you about my brother. And, and a lot, uh, you know, a lot of people always think it's the other person with the problem when in reality, when in reality, hey, the message is for us. So Paul makes that clear right up front. He says to every man, every person, every member of that church, uh, had a responsibility to be humble before the Lord. Now, notice the subject, verse 3. The subject is this, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Well, you don't have to be a Greek scholar to understand what he's talking about, do you? He's talking about the matter of pride. And pride is a serious sin. It's a deadly danger it destroys our usefulness for one thing. As I said in the beginning, if we're going to be helpful, we've got to be humble. I mean, there, there, there's no substitute for that. And, and if we don't have a spirit of humility, we're never going to be mightily used of the Lord. So it destroys our use, usefulness. But it also, beyond that, it creates contention. The Bible says, only by pride that cometh contention. Wouldn't it be wonderful to get rid of all of the contention in our families and the churches and society? Well, the cause of that is what? It's pride, thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And so this puts us in a position of danger because not only are we of no use to the kingdom of God, we are troublemakers in the kingdom of God, and that endangers us and that means that this is a threat to, to everyone. And in the, the very first message from Proverbs, I, I brought a message on the, on the peril, peril of pride, I believe was the title of it. And I was really tempted to just insert that here tonight and go back over it and rehash it. And I, I decided not to because I don't want to distract from the context of our message tonight which is this, the importance of you and I fulfilling our role in the body of Christ. That's what it's all about. That's what it looks like when you surrender your body to the Lord as a living sacrifice. When you do that, then automatically you become a servant in the Lord's church, in the body of Christ. And somebody says, well, I'll tell you one thing. I am really wholly yielded to the Spirit of God. I have surrendered my all. I put it all on the altar. I am totally surrendered to the Lord. But, but I, I, I just don't go to church. What do you think about that, preacher? I think you're a liar. You're, you're, you're not totally surrendered to God. If you are, listen, if you are unconcerned about the body of Christ, the body of Christ is the manifestation of Christ here in this world. How in the world, you know, could we love Christ and not love His church? I mean, that's His bride. 
You know, you, you could probably get by with a lot of stuff just talking about me and throw rocks at me and cuss me and what have you, but, but boy, you're not going to do that as long as I've got a leg to stand on and a fist to double up. You're not going to do that to my bride. And it's serious. It's serious whenever we, when we demonstrate by our manner of life that we don't have any concern for the bride of Christ. And, and so this is what we're talking about, the Lord's church and fulfilling our function in the Lord's church, our role in the Lord's church. Now, whenever we consider all of this and think about it, I, I read a comment from Charles Simeon. He, this guy was born in 1758, and, and this is what he said, Nothing renders a man more contemptible than vanity. It invariably defeats its own end and sinks us in the estimation of all whose applause we covet. It is an insult to God to make His gifts a pedestal for the exaltation of self. Now, he hit the nail right on the head because that goes on a whole lot more than what we might imagine. That, you know, that all of a sudden we find ourselves, you know, as, as gifted or maybe in our mind uh, more intelligent than someone else, more sophisticated than someone else. And after a while, we start thinking we're better than those people. And Paul says that we are not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Now, notice the instruction. That's the subject. Humility, not thinking of ourselves more highly than we should, but notice the instruction, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, there's two things here. Number one, he says to think soberly. That doesn't mean, it doesn't have anything to do with not being inebriated. That's not the point. The word sober means to be of a sound mind. It means to be sensible. It means literally to be in one's right mind. And it has to do with the ability to form the right conclusion about ourselves. And we have some problems with that, don't we? We have an easy time jumping to conclusions in regards to other people. And, you know, we form, uh, you know, opinions and estimates about so-and-so, but, but we sometimes fail when it comes to evaluating our own life. And, uh, and, and to think soberly is to have the ability to estimate, as it were, to evaluate and rightly estimate ourselves, to see ourselves as we really are. A.T. Robertson, the famous Greek scholar, said self-conceit is here treated. Now, I want you to listen. Self-conceit is here treated as insanity. I've never heard that before. It, I've often said that sin is spiritual insanity, but, but to put this together with the matter of pride, self-conceit is treated here as a species of insanity. And, and that's true because... Uh, it, the fact of the matter is we are delusional to think that we're better than other people Amen. because it's just not true. And, and it's amazing how we can aggrandize, you know, ourselves and speak so highly of ourselves and put others down. And how we could arrive at such a conclusion as that, 
you know, has to be attributed to, to being out of your mind. I mean, you're not thinking soberly. You're not thinking straight. You're way off target, off base when you begin to assume that you're better than somebody else. I, I've told the story over and over and over again about, you know, the woman that went to the pastor and going to confess her sin. Uh, and she said, Pastor, I have a besetting sin. I want your help with it. She said, I come to church, and she said, I can't help but think that I am the prettiest woman in the congregation. And she said, I know I ought not to think that, but I've come to you, Pastor, to get help, and I want you to help me with this. And the pastor started, uh, you know, snickering and said, Mary, Mary, said, don't, don't worry about it. In your case, it's not a sin, just a terrible mistake. And... Uh, <laughs> And, and, and look, there's a lot of times we, we get all lifted up and puffed up with pride and, and we are mistaken. We don't have anything to be proud of. None of us do. So the first thing he says in this regards, and this is him instructing them. Remember, he's given them the warning. He's laid it out before them. They're not to think of themselves more highly than they should. And so he says, think soberly, but then he doesn't end there. Notice what he says, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. You know, commentaries uh, can be good or they can be bad. They're like preachers. They're written by preachers and theologians. And one of the best ways to get really confused is to get hung up on a certain commentator and put a lot of confidence in him as though he couldn't be wrong. I've heard people say, well, Matthew Henry said this and that. Yeah, and Matthew Henry said a lot of things is not so. Somebody says, well, i got a Schofield Bible and it can't be wrong. Oh, yes, it can be. It is wrong in a lot of places. So what I'm trying to say is we've got to be careful in just taking what somebody else says as though it's the gospel truth. I'm saying all of that for a reason, because there are a lot of folks that say that this has reference here to saving faith. According as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. And they say that refers to saving faith, showing that no one is superior or inferior to everyone, because everybody has been given a measure of faith. Now, my problem with that is that there's not different measures of saving faith. You either have it or you don't have it. I mean, it's one or the other. And I'm not trying to tell you that I know exactly, precisely everything that's implied by this. But I'm just telling you that saving faith does not come in small and large doses. It's either saving faith or it's not one or the other. And when we take this into the consideration of the context, it appears to me that it's speaking about the ability to recognize and to exercise our spiritual gifts. And I'm saying that for a reason. Look at verse 6. Notice he says in verse 6, according to the proportion of faith. And, and, and if you read on down through verse number 8, you'll see that he's talking about spiritual gifts. And we'll get to those, Lord willing, uh, two weeks from tonight. We'll be talking about those spiritual gifts. And notice he says here, that's the context, according to the proportion of faith. Now, 
if that is referring to faith in regards to recognizing and exercising your spiritual gifts, then verse number 3 ought to refer to that, it seems to me like. But, listen, I'm saying all of that to try to head you in the right direction, but I don't want you to get so wrapped up in this debate about whether it refers to this or whether it refers to that, that you totally miss the point. And the point is here that is very clear that God made us all different and God gives us different gifts in the body of Christ. God made us that way. And if God made us that way, then we have no right to boast about being better than somebody else. For example, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7 says, For who maketh thee to differ one from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, notice he didn't say earn it or anything like that. If you received it, why dost thou glory? Why do you boast? Why do you brag as if thou hadst not received it? So, Who made you different than anyone else? And let's all agree on this. We're all different. We're all different. There's no doubt about that. But who made us different? Well, it's God that made us different and God who gave us different gifts. So that being the fact, we don't have any room to boast. There's no room for pride whatsoever because being different does not make us better. Look at verse number 4. And it makes it clear. He says, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. We don't all function in the same way. I mean, it would be terrible if everyone had exactly the same gift and no one could do anything else. One of the, one of the main things that I've and I, you know, there's been a lot of things I haven't learned, a lot of mistakes that I've made. But one of the things I've learned over the years as a pastor is that God doesn't expect me to try to do everything. And God adds men and women to the church and gives them certain abilities for a reason. And that is because I ought to be letting them do it instead of me trying to do it. And that's why whenever if we put somebody in a certain position, if I've got confidence in them, and if I don't, I'm going to do what I can not to put them there, by the way. But if I've got confidence in them, I'm not going to be looking over their shoulder constantly. And I think all of these guys, Kenneth and Brother Ron and Brother Barry and Bubba and everyone to tell you the same thing. I'm not there wanting and accounting for everything that's going on. And somebody will ask a question, you know, and say, you know, well, what about this and what about that? And I have to say, I don't know. I don't even know what you're talking about. Look, I don't know everything. I, I don't keep up the schedule. Bev and Ron does that. Don't call me if you want to know what's going on. Call one of them. I... You know, I've got enough sense to know that I'm not supposed to do it. Somebody says, what songs are we going to sing Sunday? I don't know. Call Tim. He'll know. You know, that's not my job. And so he's telling us here that as we have many members, we're one body, and all members have not the same office. Now, let's go back to our text for a minute. According as God hath dealt That word dealt means to deal out or to divide, and it's reminding us that what we have 
or what we are enabled to do comes from God. And, and now notice something very important here. He uses that phrase, every man. Now, now by that, he's not just speaking about the males, by the way. Every person, every church member, evidently, notice, has some gift. Now, please don't, don't miss this. It's very important. Understand that we're all different, we have different functions, but that all of us, he's dealt to every man the measure of faith. And if this measure of faith that he's talking about has reference to recognizing and exercising our spiritual gifts, then it means every one of us has some spiritual gift. That ought to encourage you. Because I've had so many people over the years tell me, well, you know, I just don't know what, what I can do. I, you know, I can't do this. I wish I could sing like so-and-so, or I wish I was a good Bible teacher like so-and-so, and I, I just don't have any gift. I just don't fit in any place. Well, listen, you might not have discovered it, but you do have some gift. Not only that, it might be that what the problem is, is although God has given you a gift, you are coveting somebody else's gift like the Corinthians did. That's what got them into trouble. They're bickering and fussing and fighting. Somebody had the gift of speaking in other languages, and everybody said, Whoa, boy, that's what I want. I want to do that. And so here they are in a big old church split because they're bickering about spiritual gifts. Now, I always tell people the same, and boy, I really, uh, back whenever I was pastoring in Missouri, there by Baptist Bible College, and every week you get the students coming out there and those young preachers that would come in, and, and nearly every one of them wanted a title. I had one fellow, I'll never forget it, I, he just came right out and told me, I have, if I'm going to join here, I've got to have some kind of position, some kind of a title. I'm not asking to be the assistant pastor. I'm not asking to be a deacon, but I've got to be the head of the janitorial committee or something because, you know, that, that was a big thing with the students to be able to say, Oh yeah, I go to church out there. I'm in charge of their visitation program or whatever. And, and like I told him, and I probably told a hundred other people, you know, If God puts you here and your heart is right with God, God will open up a door of opportunity. And God will use you if you're willing to do whatever He wants you to do. Now, if that doesn't suit you, you know, if you're not satisfied with that, you're not going to be happy here. You're not going to be happy anywhere. I'm so glad one of our members the other day said one of the things that blessed me so much I've got to be careful how much information I put out there, and I'll try to, you know, edit this the best I can. But this, this, this one of the well, newer members' last couple of years uh, was so thrilled about joining here because said something to the effect, I've never had so many opportunities to serve the Lord as, as what I've had here. That blessed my heart to think that somebody... Uh, recognize that that there's a place for me there. And I'm telling you, if your heart is right, and if you're not eaten up with pride, and you're willing to do whatever God wants you to do, there's something for you to do. That's what Paul is pointing out, and he has dealt to every man the measure of faith. You might not have discovered God's gift, but you have a gift of some kind that God wants you to use for Him. 
that is encouraging to me to think about that God has gifted each and every one of us. Now, since God made us different, we don't have anything to brag about, right? We just talked about that, 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Now, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, because I want you to notice here, Paul, as he is speaking to this church that was so greatly troubled, and here throughout chapter 12, he speaks about the church as being the body of Christ. And notice verse number 4. He says, now there are diversities of gifts. There's different kinds of gifts. But it's the same spirit. Notice, and there are differences of administration, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all, for, for to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge, by the same Spirit, to another faith, and by the same Spirit, and to another the gift of healing, by the same Spirit, and to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. Now here's what I want you to notice here. He's given a list of, I think, nine different temporary spiritual gifts that existed back in that day. But notice this, verse 11. But all these worketh that one and and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to who? Every man, severally, notice, as he will. I'm saying all of this to tell you, that you never need to feel inferior to anybody else. Not only, look, not only should we not ever feel superior to anyone, we shouldn't feel inferior to anybody else. Just because what they do is in the limelight doesn't mean that what they do is more important than what you do. So surrender yourself to God and be satisfied with what God wants to do with your life. And I'll tell you, He'll use you in ways that you never imagined. But if listen, if we're not willing to humble ourselves before the Lord, we'll never be used of the Lord. A lot of times people misunderstand the word meek. And they always associate meekness with weakness. And it's not that at all. What meekness is, is strength under control. In fact, it is a word that is used in reference to breaking and taming a horse. And they would say that that horse has been meeked. In other words, the strength and the fury of that horse has been brought under control. It's not worth anything. Until that happened, had a fellow gave me a... Pinto several years ago that would half wild horse and uh, Mustang, I guess he called them. I mean, literally uh, mated with another horse and he had caught this horse and bred it and, uh, and uh, the wild horse and gave me this, this horse that I had and, and he had trained this thing. And I didn't know. I'm, you know, I don't know a whole lot about horses. I know more about coon dogs than horses. But, but uh, I'd get on that thing, and that stupid thing would take off running. I just start in a trot, and if I didn't do anything, you know, and I, and, and I could pull back and everything, they just keep going faster. 
and I could set a little kid on, on the horse and he'd just walk around out there like the old gray mare, wouldn't do anything. And what I didn't understand is this horse had been trained that when you shift your weight into the stirrups and you, you got the weight in the stirrups, that means go. And I didn't know the horse had been trained that way. Well, that's the way I thought you're supposed to ride. I thought you're supposed to get as much <laughs> off of your rear, you know, as you could because, you know, it's a pretty painful thing for a new cowboy to get out there and go horseback riding. And and uh, it wasn't all that pleasant, so I, you put your feet, you know, weight in the stirrups. And uh, the fact of the matter is I gave the horse away. <laughs> Because I really, I thought it wasn't any good. It was stupid or something. And uh, I was the one that was stupid. But if you can't control a horse, it's, it's no good to you, right? The same thing is true when it comes to you and I as the servants of God. Listen, now think about this. I said, the Bible says that we've all been gifted in some way. But do you realize that we can be gifted and yet be carnal? Gifted and out of the will of God, gifted and mean as a snake? And I say that because Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, you come behind and none of the gifts. In other words, you have all of the same gifts that all of the other churches have. You don't come behind them in any of those things. They possess the gifts. But they were not humble enough in order to allow God to, to use them in the way that He wanted to use them, and it caused nothing but trouble. Well, that's why Second Chronicles 7.14 is so important. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray... And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and I'll heal their land. Boy, that's what we need today. We need a great healing of the land. But notice how, how that starts. It starts with humility. It starts with humility. If we'll humble ourselves. You see, God expects us to do that. Now, God can do it. But boy, it hurts. God can humble the proudest person on earth. He proved that, didn't he, with Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, here was a king that thought he owned the world, and he went flat dab crazy and, and sleeping out in the field like the wild beast and eating grass like the cattle, and God brought him down. God's able to do that, but there's no need for you to get hurt like that. If there's pride in your heart that's hindering you from being used of God, God says, you need to humble yourself. You say, well, how do I do that? By yielding yourself to the Lord. Because when we totally give ourselves over to God and we're fully surrendered to God, there's no room for boasting. That's why Paul said, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross. He said, that's the only thing I got worth bragging about is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is success? I've said it over a thousand times, discovering the will of God and doing it. That's it. Discovering the will of God, which is different for all of us in a lot of ways. 
Because God doesn't expect from me what He expects from you and vice versa. Discover the will of God and do it and you are a success. And God help us to be successful in that sense. Let's stand together. Father, how we thank you tonight for the warnings that you've given, for the clear instruction that you've set before us. And God, uh, forgive me and forgive us for the times that we've become proud, the times that we've depended upon our abilities rather than the Spirit of God, for the times that we took credit for what you did And Lord, just help us to truly humble ourselves before you that we might indeed present our bodies as a living sacrifice and the evidence, the evidence of that might be real to others by them being able to see our dedication to the body of Christ. For we ask it in his name. Amen.